I'm not feeling really good, and I wondered if I even imagined that he was even up here. Romans chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 4 and 5 this morning. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. You know, I don't know if you, um, when you golf or if you do golf, if you ever take a mulligan. I've been known to take one or two or a dozen during a 18 holes. First service is definitely a mulligan. Those poor people. And I'm hoping I get three of them today. So um, we'll test your grace. Chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 4 and 5. We're continuing our series called Committed to Worship. We've been looking through Romans chapter 12. And uh, we've seen a lot of things. I hope that a lot of things have stuck, a lot of truths, a lot of life-changing transformational elements in this. I'm hoping that it sticks. But uh, I'm really very excited, despite not feeling the best, I'm very excited about the content of this morning. I believe it's absolutely powerful in the life of a community of Christ. You know, there's a constant tendency for some in the church to become conceited. There really is. Let's just admit it. There's a tendency for many in the church to become conceited and possess an opinion that they are more important in the body of Christ than other people. That surfaces periodically, sometimes even often, and when it does surface, it's ugly. It could come through in the pastors, it could come through in the elders, the deacons, all the way down to the very usher and greeter of the church. You know, Walter Cronkite recalled sailing with his wife down the Mystic River in Connecticut and following the channel's tricky turns through an expanse of really shallow water. And here's what happened. A boatload of young people sped past them and they were shouting out to Cronkite and waving their arms. And here's Walter waving back a cheerful greeting and his wife says to him, do you know what they're shouting? Why, it was hello, Walter, he replied. And she said, no, they're shouting, low water, low water. (laughs) You see, every one of us, every single person here can misconstrue what people are saying to agree with themselves. And if we think too highly of ourselves, we just kind of think everybody thinks that highly of ourselves. And this is what Paul reminded us and taught us last week. Don't think too highly of yourselves. Think about yourself right. Have right thinking about me, about you, about us individually. And don't think, not only don't think too highly, but think with sound judgment, knowing this. You ready? Now, this is freeing. This ought to transform your life. This is the truth of the Word of God. God has given to you a ministry assignment. You know that, right? Every one of you, regardless of our economy, you're employed. You're employed by God to work in the church. He's given you a job, a function, an assignment, and he's given you the giftedness, the supernatural ability to do what he's asked you to do. And guess what? He has given to you the exact dosage, the precise measurement of that gift to be able to do exactly and precisely what he wants you to do in the church. And we saw in verse 3, if you remember, that at least in the English Standard Version, it begins with the word for. 
Four is a link word. Paul constantly teaches in chains. Chains of thought, Romans 8, Romans 12, all through scripture, all through his epistles, he, he writes in chains and these links are the words for. And so what he said in verse three was linked back to verses one and two. And he's going to say four again at the beginning of verse four. So we know it's linked back to verse three. So here's what he's saying that you've got to think rightly about yourself before you're able to think rightly about other people. Now, did you hear that? Because that's one of those things that can kind of float through our ears without stopping to register. You have to think rightly about yourself before you're able to think rightly about others. That's why verse 3 precedes verse 4. Here's what he writes in verse 4 and 5. For as in one body... We have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So last week, right thinking about me. This week, right thinking about you. Right thinking about one another. You know, I want to share something with you that I learned from God about two years ago. We had excitedly launched... Our first on-ramps to service in April of 2007, we had more than 200 people in our church get involved in 12 service projects. It was so exciting that weekend. But the goal of on-ramps, now listen, the goal of on-ramps was and is to launch people into gospel-powered living wherever you are. Not to just come out in a programmed event of the church, but to live this way Everywhere. That's the goal of on-ramps. And one of the initiatives that weekend, two years ago, was to feed those in need in downtown Easton. And, I, and that was exciting. It was exciting to be able to do that. And after on-ramps was completed, one of our elders, Jack Templeton, told me that Dave Barry had offered to try and get an ongoing ministry started in taking care of those in need in downtown Easton and Phillipsburg. Now, friends, listen, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I really didn't think Dave would be successful. I even said that to Jack. See, Dave doesn't have the personality of a leader. He's too soft-spoken to motivate people to serve in this ministry. He doesn't have the right spiritual gifts for leading this ministry. I couldn't have been more wrong. And I've learned a great deal from that experience. Friends, Dave is God's man for Riverside. And he leads... <clears throat> I'm going to say more of those because it gives me a chance to clear all the junk out of my lungs. Just thought I'd tell you. He leads an incredible team... In this ministry, his gifts, friends, I found out, are perfect for this ministry. This ministry assignment that God gave him in our church. And he thinks humbly about himself. He thinks rightly about the need to involve stellar servants like Tony and Bruce and Nelson and honestly 30 or 40 other people that give every week. How should we think of each other in the church. I learned a lesson. 
Almost like Samuel did when God told him to select the next king of Israel. And he kept looking for intangibles. He kept looking for tangibles. And God was showing him the intangibles. How should we think of people in the church? You ready? Here we go. I think this could transform our community if we will live out these truths. Here we go. Number one, we're all part of the body. And friends, we call that unity. Twice we see in verses 4 and 5, Paul speaking of this one bodiness of the church. Here it is. Look at it with me. Verse 4. For as in one body, verse 5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. The greatest concern I have as a pastor in the church. You ready? Here it is. The greatest concern is disunity. I'll deal with sin. Sin is something that is easily covered by grace. When you understand what a sinner you are, it's easy to cover sin and grace, in my opinion. But disunity is a cancer and it spreads. I have seen church after church destroyed through disunity. And I'm talking about both corporate unity as well as individual unity of the marriage and of the family and interrelationships. I've seen terrible fractures develop in churches. And friends, listen, listen to me. None of it was good. None of it was a good testimony to the communities in which they live. Do you realize why the Spirit of God labors so hard among us to create unity? Do you know why the leadership of Cornerstone takes unity so seriously? Listen, I'm going to read to you the very words of Jesus in John 17. He says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one. There it is. Even as we are one, I in them and you in me, here we go, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know. The world may know. We have a testimony and a witness in our community when a church loves one another, but when a church is fractured with disunity, your witness is muted. It's an awful picture of Christ. Am I ever willing to disunify? Yes. If somebody were coming in this church and trying to teach a group of people that God no longer knows or God never knows what's going to happen down the road, he does not have exhaustive foreknowledge, but yet he's very, very good at adjusting so quickly that he can manage our lives, friends. That's the heresy of open theism. If somebody came in here and began to teach that, I am willing to correct and discipline. And if they're not willing to submit, they need to leave. Yes, there are opportunities when disunity must happen. But those opportunities are rare. How many churches have disunified because they changed their worship? I know churches that have disunified because they went from one common cup of communion to several cups. It's an awful, awful testimony. Paul twice in our passage this morning emphasizes unity. Remember, repetition in Scripture, friends, when you find it, it is notable. Stand up and take notice. Paul is emphasizing the point of unity. The first time in verse 4, he uses a human body with all of its limbs and parts and eyes and noses and ears. And the second time he applies it to the church. Now listen, do you remember 
the context of Romans 12? You gotta know the context. If you're gonna rightly divide the Word of God, you just can't open the Bible, point your finger at a verse, and then say, wow, this is the way I ought to live. You need to know what has gone on around that scripture. Here's the context. You ready? God, verse 1, has been pleading with us through Paul to place ourselves on the altar and serve him with a full commitment. And to do that, verse 2, we need to stop letting the world squeeze us into its likeness. And we need to start renewing our minds with the power of the word of God. And when we do, he will transform us. And guess what? A renewed mind of a transformed Christian gets to those intersections in life and all of a sudden knows, wow, this is the good, pleasing, perfect way to go. This is how I ought to live in the will of God. But there's always static that comes in. So every day, we've got to renew our mind, clear the channel, hear from God, know who God is, know who we are in the context of that. And to be able to have a renewed mind, friends, is simply what we saw last week. It's to see ourselves rightly, to know that God has given me, he's given to you a ministry assignment, a job, And so that you can't say, well, Lord, I can't do it. I don't know how he's given you this supernatural ability called the gifts of God, spiritual gifts to do your assignment and the exact measure that you need in order to do it well to God's glory. He's given you everything. He's given me everything. First time I ever preached Marietta, Georgia, the evangelical free church where I was a youth pastor. The entire time I preached, I was like this. I was too scared to even look up. In fact, one of the elders of the church had to remind me to pray. I was pathetic. Notice I used the past tense. God gives us the ability to do what he's asked us to do in the precise measurement to do it to his glory. That's the truth of Romans. That's the context of what we've been learning. Why? Why does God give you a ministry gift? Why did he give you a ministry gift and you and you? Why does he do this? It's to build up this thing called church. Cornerstone is one church made up of many, many parts, but it begins at the one unified level. And if there's not unity, friends, listen to me. It doesn't matter how well the parts are going to work. We've lost our witness in the community. Can I ask you a question? One of these times, Ken Christensen is going to actually say no to that. He is the old guy up in the Muppet Stadium. Here's what I want to ask you. I love that guy. Uh, (laughs) Let me ask you a question. You ready? Is there anybody, anybody in this church you don't like? Who came to mind just now? It'll be a face. And it'll be a name. And friends, that's where disunity starts. Why don't you like them? Because they're different? Because they're irritating? They're not like you? Is that the way God feels? What if we had somebody from the street that didn't smell very good? 
and they walked in here and sat right next to you, what would you do? Tolerate or love? See, disunity doesn't start with doctrinal heresy. It almost never does. It starts with those little tiny fractures that wedge us apart from one another. And before we know it, months, years down the road, here comes the hammer blow to break it in pieces. In order to serve God fully, Romans chapter 12, 1, we must strive toward what, toward unity in the church. But that's not the only thing. Here's what Paul says. He goes on. He says, we are each unique. That's called diversity. Not only are we all part of one body called unity, we're all unique. That's diversity. You know, several years ago, I had a well-known pastor. You would know his name. Best-selling author. Contact my professor at Biblical and say, hey, would you be willing to come to our church and be our associate pastor of congregational care? My professor wasn't willing, didn't feel like the Lord was leading to do that. Gave them my name and thus starts the interview process. And at first I'm flattered. Wow, this is a mega church. This church is known around the world and they're actually wanting me to come and interview for this position. So I started interviewing. Here's what's happening. Here's what happened. I made several phone calls with staff up there. And every single person I talked to sounded like this senior pastor, this best-selling author. Using the same words, the same inflections. I said, you know, if I were to go there, I'm going to lose my uniqueness and be absorbed into the Borg. I was a Star Trek fan. I decided not to go mainly for one of two reasons. I didn't want to lose who God made me to be. Diversity is beautiful. It's beautiful in the church. It's not a threat. Look at what Paul says. He says, and the members do not all have the same function. You know what that word function means? Originally, it meant a deed that we do, but it became something more as that word evolved. You know what it means? It means ministry assignment. And the members do not all have the same ministry assignment, the same function. We have different functions, different assignments to do in the spiritual gifts that God gives us, helps us unfold on, and to do those assignments. Your assignment looks differently than mine. But we must be unified in the church. But friends, listen, that doesn't mean we need to be uniformed. We don't all have to look the same. In fact, it'd be pretty boring if you all looked like me. It would not be a fun church to visit. I love unity. I strive to maintain it. I'm always vigilant to do to, to what can harm our unity. But friends, man, I love diversity. It's what makes ministry exciting. The church is made up of God's people who have been given a variety of gifts to fulfill their God-given ministry assignments that all work toward one goal. It's one goal. And that is to build up the church by making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Diversity is beautiful. You know, I really like that each of you are unique. You bring a distinct Note to our ministry. Some of you, honestly, like me, you're a bit quirky. You bring the flavor to the body. Some of you are just incredibly crazy smart. You're the brains. You scare me a little bit. Some of you are seriously passionate. 
for Jesus Christ. Some of you can speak to somebody down anywhere and they want to know Jesus. I don't have that gift. It's an amazing gift. Some of you can walk anybody right into the basics of the Christian faith. Some of you come alive when you're asked to serve. If I ask you to lead anything, forget it. But if you just can serve, that's all you want to do. It's an amazing variety. We're unique. We have different gifts. We're given them in different measures, different callings, different experiences, different personalities, and all called to serve one God to have one hope. What do I mean? Look what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the whole body were an eye, where would it be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Friends, diversity is God-designed. That's why Paul tells us we need to think rightly about ourselves because you know what happens when people are different from us and we're filled with pride? They're not as good as us. There's something wrong with them. I hope somebody will come and help them because they need help. Have you ever noticed that in some mentoring and discipleship that people try to make you like them rather than Christ? That's one of the the fatal flaws in some modern discipleship programs. But Paul says, and the members do not all have the same functions. Are you fulfilling your ministry assignment? Now, don't take that lightly. Now, I'm going to argue that that ministry assignment starts in the church. You're going to see in two weeks it goes outside the church as well. But Paul is talking, friends, about your ministry assignment in the church. Meaning this, basically... Everybody has been given a job to do to make their church beautiful and powerful. But you know what? I know a lot of people in Cornerstone who aren't really doing anything in Cornerstone. Well, how do you know that? Well, they tell me. I ask them, what are you doing at Cornerstone? Would you be able to help? No, not right now. I'm in a season of life. I can't serve. What do you mean you're in a season of life you can't serve? You've been given an assignment to serve. You've been given the gifts to serve in exactly the right measure so you can do it for the glory of God. What do you mean you can't serve? Do you not agree with me that there's something wrong with that theology? Now, some of you are hating me right now. That's okay. I'm a little irritated at you too. We need everybody working, all right? We all need unity. Diversity is beautiful, but friends, Paul says one more thing. I can't wait to tell you. You ready? Some of you are not going to like this. We all need one another. It's called mutuality. And he says, and individually members one of another. You know, after World War II, there was a group of German students who volunteered to help rebuild a church that had been severely damaged by German bombs. And as work progressed, they became concerned about a large statue of Jesus whose arms were outstretched and beneath it was the inscription, come unto me. You see, they had particular difficulty trying to restore the hands of that statue, which had been completely destroyed. 
And so they got together and they discussed, what are we going to do with this statue? We can't restore the hands. So they decided to let the hands remain missing and they changed the inscription to, to Christ has no hands but ours. I like that. We need each other. We need, we even require each other. I know you don't like that, some of you. But it's plainly what Paul is preaching. He says, and individually members one of another. What does that mean? You know what it means? It means is we work together, each of us in our giftedness. We are the hands. We are the mouths. We are the feet of Christ. And this builds one another up in Christ. It's why Paul, after teaching that not all the believers have the same gifts and functions in the church, he quickly adds that we're members of one another. The meaning of members of one another, friends, I'm going to warn you right now, it is startling. It's startling. And it's best defined through imagery. Do you know how the the Bible talks about the church? It's only mentioned 79 times in the English New Testament. If the church is that important, how come it's not mentioned more? Well, it's mentioned in a lot of different ways. It's mentioned as a building whose chief cornerstone ties it all together. It's mentioned as a body which is connected to one head, Jesus Christ. It's mentioned in a lot of ways. And here, what I'm about to show you, it's mentioned as a vine and the branches. Here's what Jesus says in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. You see, Jesus is the vine, friends. Listen, the best, most noble description we're going to get for ourselves is that we're branches that bear fruit. And the same sap runs through that one vine to all the branches. That's the same Holy Spirit that powers and strengthens and changes every believer. And the whole vineyard, did you ever realize this? The whole vineyard is one vine. There's not a lot of different vines going around. It's one vine, Jesus. And it's not just one branch. There's thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of branches. You and I, if you're in Christ, are each branches. And it must be joined to the vine if it's going to bear fruit. And if it's joined to the vine, it's part of the one vineyard, just as every other branch in it is. That's called solidarity. Friends, listen. Tom, I know you're in Christ. I know I've talked to you. You are in the vine of Christ as a branch. You've been given a ministry assignment and the gifts to do it and the exact measure to do it to the glory of God. But you're in that vine joined to me. I might be in a different location of the vine, but we're all joined together through the vine. So guess what? When you suffer, I better be suffering. And when I'm rejoicing, you better be rejoicing. That's precisely what it means to live in the vine. Paul says, but God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Listen, you better let this theology make you live this way. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. 
Friends, that's mutuality, that's solidarity, that's unity with each other in Christ. Do you know what that means? If we have a friend in this church, a brother and a sister who loses their job, do you realize it's your and it's my responsibility to help provide? I don't like that, Pastor Tim. I don't, I don't either. Not always, because sometimes it's pretty costly. How about when we have a sister that's going through a divorce? Does that affect you? It ought to. And how about when people in the church don't serve? They've been given an assignment, but they're not doing anything about it. They've been given the gifts in the exact measure, but they're not using it. Therefore, God is not glorified. Follow the logic. When that happens, I suffer. When that happens, you suffer. The body suffers. The kingdom of God suffers. Pastor Tim, you're kind of yelling at us today. I'm not yelling at you. I'm showing you the theology of Romans 12, what it means to be a body. I get colds. I always have. I grew up on those little blue pills called Dimetap. Thank God they're not addictive. But I would get colds, and when I got a cold, I'd lose the hearing in my right ear. I have about 50% hearing in my right ear. But when I get a cold, that 50% goes down probably to 10 to 20. And I do a lot of counseling. Do you know what it's like counseling struggling people who already don't talk very loud because they're grieving, and you can't hear them? I have to scoop my chair literally to my knees, almost touching theirs, leaning forward to be able to hear. When one part of my body gets out of whack, I can hardly do what God's called me to do. And the question is, what parts of Cornerstone are out of adjustment? Because they're not doing what God has called them to do. The entire body suffers. So yes, I'm going to boldly tell you that you've been given a ministry assignment in the church first. And it will go out to the world. And when we live in unity and diversity and mutuality, the community is going to hear about the church and they're going to want to know about the church and they're going to have the power of the gospel changing them. But if we don't use the gifts in the precise measure that God's given us to do the assignment, you cannot bring glory to God. Doesn't that just make sense? It is what Paul is saying. If we're going to commit to worship, which is the context of chapter 12, fully placing ourselves on the altar saying, God, we are exclusively yours do with me as you will. If we're going to commit to that kind of worship, which means service, then we better see that he's given us the ability to serve him, but we've got to exercise it with responsibility. And friends, that's what this message is about. Let me pray for you, Lord. I thank you for my friends here. I hope, Lord, that they aren't angry. This is probably about as assertive as I have gotten in preaching. Lord, I am tired of our church and all churches, Lord, having people that call themselves Christians that are not fulfilling their assignments. 
but I'm not so tired that I'm willing to disunify. Lord, I want to encourage them. I want to love them. I want all of us to come alongside them and encourage them, strengthen them, help them to serve. And Lord, we don't need to sit down and and wait for you to send us a telegram telling us what to do. Lord, we can live out the gospel, the good, pleasing, perfect life, and you will guide us into the positions you would have us to do. But Lord, it's a root word, is service, and we do it humbly. Lord, I pray that we would be excited to leave here this morning challenged to know that we can bring you glory. We can shine the spotlight on you. That's what it means. The weightiness of who you are can come to bear in our lives, Lord, when we live out the way you've designed us to live and do what you've asked us to do. Lord, that glory is coming to you. I pray that we would do that. And in Jesus' name, amen.